Um, today's reading is from Romans 1, starting at verse 18 to 25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Much, uh, Deepak, and a really good morning to everybody who's here and everyone who's at home or elsewhere today. Now, if someone said to you, um, what is a creed? You Christians say this thing sometimes, and, and we are here to talk about that. What is a creed? I wonder what you would say in response. Uh, we're going to be looking over the next uh, few weeks uh, at uh, the oldest of the creeds as a, a structure uh, or a summary of what we as Christian people uh, believe. And Alistair McGrath, uh, who's a wonderful uh, person who uh, writes a lot about uh, science and about Christian faith, uh, was himself uh, an ardent atheist uh, in his younger years, uh, became a Christian uh, and has written a lot about science and faith. Uh, he wrote in an, he's written an excellent book called The Landscape of Faith. And he says this about the creeds. He says, the creed is the Christian church's attempt to tell believers and the world what it has seen. A transformative and utterly compelling vision of God which resists any attempt to reduce it to plain words. So a creed is simply the church's attempt to tell our story and to tell the world what we have seen. And we'll see whether you agree at the end of the series. Now, of course, the primary and only foundation for Christians is the Bible. But in the second century, short summaries of the Bible and the Bible's teaching, which we now call creeds, started to appear. And they're, they're summaries. They're not replacements. And we're going to concentrate, as I said, on the first of the creeds uh, that's now called the Apostles' Creed. And very importantly, it starts with the word I. I believe, uh, not we believe. And it was used when Christians, new Christians, were baptized. And often Christians would be baptized on Easter Sunday. And part of that was that uh, each person would stand and would own the faith and would say, this is what I believe uh, now. So it's not what my parents believe. It's not what other people believe. It's what I uh, believe. And that was really important. Uh, so why do we need creeds? Well, of course, uh, we need them because they are such useful 
uh, summaries of what the Bible uh, teaches. Because if someone said to you, can you share with me uh, what the Bible says, it, it would take you quite a long time. Isabel, if you could put up the first um, slide, please. Uh, this is a map, uh, but it's, it's, it's a particular kind of map. Uh, it's a map of the Isle of Wight. And uh, last year in October, Naomi and I walked around. The, there's a coastal path that kind of goes right round uh, the Isle of Wight, and it took us four days, and we walked uh, all the way around. Uh, now, this is definitely more of a theologian's map than a geographer's map. Naomi is a geography teacher and an ardent geographer, and I'm not sure she would totally approve uh, of this map or think it particularly useful. But it's a really good map. It, for certain things. It helps us remember that walk because it kind of gives the highlights of what you see as you walk around at the Isle of Wight. It, you know, we can remember, oh, that was the place where we did that picnic and that was the place where we got caught in that thunderstorm and that was the place where we stopped and we had lovely uh, fresh crab sandwiches. So it's, kind of, it's a real good aid memoir. And also, if somebody said to us, oh, you know, I'm thinking of walking the Isle of Wight, you walked it, um, what's it like? This would be a really good thing because you say, well, look, you know, there it is, and there's Yarmouth, where we got, that's where the ferry arrived, we walked around there. And so it would be a good way of introducing somebody uh, who didn't know the Isle of Wight, giving them uh, some of the highlights. Uh, this map would not be much use to you if you were a new Amazon delivery driver uh, to the Isle of Wight, and you had like, you had 67 packages to deliver right across the Isle of Wight, and your gaffer gave you that. Uh, that is not going to help you very much. To be honest, it's not, it, wasn't particularly, it wouldn't have been particularly helpful to us as walkers around the Isle of Wight. It just doesn't give quite enough detail. Uh, so, Isabel, if you could go on to the next map. Uh, this is the kind of map that a walker or a delivery driver might want. If you recognize, if you go right to the left, you'll see there, right on the west of the Isle of Wight, there are the needles, uh, and um, you've probably been there, and you know all about it. Um, so that map... That's the map that we used when we were walking that bit of the path. And you can see the coastal path with the, uh, the little triangles going along at the bottom there. That's a great map for a walker. But even so, either map is only a map. And what you re if somebody came to me and said, well, look, we'd love to do that walk. It sounds amazing. I said, well, go and do the walk. Go to the needles. You know, see those waves crashing into the bottom, smell at the air. It, it's, it's fine to look at a map, but actually you want to go and, you want to go and visit. You want to go and be there. Uh, so Isabel, if you could switch back to the first one, please. The, the creed is all it is, is a big scale map of the Christian faith. And it begins with those amazing words, I believe in God. Now, we should remember that everybody believes things. So it's not, sometimes Christians, we feel, we're the only people that believe things, uh, everyone else doesn't. Of course, everybody believes things. Christians, we might have got ourselves a bit more organized, in a sense, in trying to state clearly what we believe, but everybody believes a whole host of things. Uh, it was the philosopher Wittgenstein, who was really good at helping us understand how language works, who wrote powerfully that we all of us need more than logic and mathematics and pure science can provide if we're to lead a meaningful life. We all need more than simple logic. And that means that whatever kind of life we believe, and what, whatever we believe about uh, what is right and true, we all believe things. 
And we all believe things that are beyond what you can simply and mathematically prove. But for a Christian, saying, I believe in God, is not arbitrary. It's not this massive leap into the uh, unknown or into the dark. We say, I believe, for some really compelling reasons. And Christians would say, uh, we believe uh, that we live in a world that makes the most sense as a place that is created by a loving and a compassionate and a deeply engaged God. And that this is a God that we can trust this is a God who wants us to know what he's like. He's, he's a talking God. He's a communicating God, uh, primarily uh, through the Bible. Uh, he's a God who looks at the rebelliousness and the hard-heartedness of human beings and is justly angry and dismayed. Why? Because he cares so deeply and is so set against anything that defaces or damages or destroys our fellow human beings made in his image or our world. God is angry because he is a good and a loving God. He's compassionate and merciful because he is a good and loving God. God was willing to pay the price for our sin when Jesus died on the cross. These are all really good reasons to believe. But we all have to make a judgment, don't we, about what we believe and whether it stacks up or it doesn't stack up. And it's, that's all the more so with the things that really matter. So the more important, it's, it becomes more important, uh, the, the deeper the question is and the more central to our lives and to our, uh, our sense of meaning they are, the more important it is that we make really important, careful decisions about what we believe. And, and that's the same for everybody, whether you're a communist or an ardent atheist or uh, just a thoroughgoing materialist or whether you're a Christian, we all believe things. And we all believe things beyond the basic and simple logic of 2 plus 2 equals 4. Uh, Richard Dawkins, who was famous for his new atheist view of science and Christianity, admitted in a debate in 2012 that really he should be thought of as an agnostic and not as an atheist. And that's because he's realized that actually his own worldview is just as much a set of beliefs about the world as the religious worldviews that he so criticizes. Uh, pure and cold logic was never going to be enough for any of us. All of us believe something. And so as Christians, we come to those amazing words, I believe in God. We have beautiful and compelling reasons to believe in God. We have them comprehensively set out for us in the Bible. We read in Romans 1, as Deepak read for us, that there is, in a sense, in many people, a deep, innate, settled sense. That sense that we get when we are out with friends and we're looking at a night sky and we're thinking about our own smallness in a vast universe. When we cradle a young child in our arms and thinks about what it means to love somebody unconditionally. When we rejoice in the beauty of a view or the majesty of creation. Many people in those moments have that innate sense that there is a God. But we have those, we have those compelling reasons 
uh, and we have them set out for us mostly in the Bible, but then summarized in this big picture view. One of the things I love about being a Christian is that there is a depth in our English word believe. So when we say I believe, actually we're saying some really interesting things. Uh, To say I believe, first of all, means that I agree with something. Uh, I believe it's true. And so when as Christians we say I believe in God, uh, what we're saying is I believe that saying there is a God is the most truthful way to talk about the world and what's important. But of course it is far more than that. To say I believe in God is also for me as a Christian, it means that I trust in God. It's never just about what I think on some abstract or theoretical level, so I can be detached about anything like the existence of God. If I say I believe in God, that means that I'm trusting him. I'm placing myself into his hands. I'm turning back to him, recognizing that I have this inbuilt desire to go off on my own. Uh, I despair of my sin and come back to him. I acknowledge with joy that I can't do it on my own. But even more than that, to say I believe in God is always an act of commitment to God. It's a joyful and a willing self-surrender to God. It's saying, I don't want idols. I don't want second best. I want to live my life with God and for God. And so the Apostles' Creed, which we will say in a moment, begins with the simplest and the deepest of statements. Simply, I believe in God. And over the next few weeks, since we're taking this map, we're going to look at some of the highlights, at the key moments of the Christian faith. And as we do so, and as we explore and say the creed each week, I just want to end with three uh, maybe helpful ways to help make it real and to help it challenge you and to help you get the very best out of it. The first thing is this. When we say, I believe, we are telling this big picture of the Christian faith. In our services, we're almost always focusing in on one smaller part, maybe one passage, one truth, one theme, and we're zeroing in on that, and we're trying to learn together. And so therefore, it's always really important that at some stage during the service, we just stand back, we kind of zoom back the lens, and we look at this big picture, and we rejoice in it. We see the big picture of faith. It's a way of resetting our horizons. It's a way of not being overwhelmed by anxiety. Secondly, when we say, I believe, we say, yes, I am personally a part of the believing community. I am an I, but I'm not alone. I'm part of a we. And Christians, we are part of a very exciting we. We are part of the church that stretches back through time to Abraham. So we're saying these words with all of those people. And we're part of a church that stretches out across the world today. And so we're saying, when we say, I believe, we're saying, this is my place and this is my story. This is where I belong, but I'm not alone. I'm in fantastic company. And thirdly, when we say, I believe, we're saying to God, I am willing to discover more and explore more of the faith. I'm not going to be limited by my present limited understanding, my imperfect understanding of the faith. There is more to explore. And so if you look at this map, when Naomi and I did that walk, uh, we did not go to Carisbrook Castle, which is right in the middle and would have been a right pain to get to when you were walking around uh, the coast uh, of the Isle of Wight. And so 
we can look at that map and say, well, next time we go to the Isle of Wight, we really should go to Casbrook Castle. Yeah, it's famous, it's cool, you know, that's where they locked up Charles I. It would be fascinating to go there. And so we can see that there are places that we have not yet explored. And for years and years and years, I had said in the words of the Creed, you probably said them too, Jesus descended to the dead. I never really thought about it until earlier uh, this year when uh, I decided to do an, a podcast about it for Easter Saturday. It was really the first time I'd read and thought and mulled over what it meant uh, to say Jesus uh, descended to the dead. Uh, so uh, each time we say the creed, we not only get to revisit some of the really key things that are important for us, and for many of us that will be Jesus died in my place, but we also get to spot some of the parts of the big story of the Christian faith that we haven't quite landed yet. We don't really, we're not quite sure how we'd understand that. And so we're hoping that through this series we will visit all of the key parts on the map and allow you just to get this bigger picture because with the bigger picture comes greater love for God and with the bigger picture comes a deeper satisfaction with the integrity and the beauty of Christian faith. So let's enjoy it together this autumn.